evening we're going to sing an old hymn of the church and uh, that simply just says uh, I'll live in glory by and by so let's worship together this tonight Kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise your holy name for this opportunity to come before you and worship. Lord, we praise that you will continue to abide with us. Help those that are sick and can't be here. Help those that are having to work and can't be here. We just pray that you will be with them, lift them up, strengthen and comfort them. Be with us tonight, Lord, as we serve you and pray you will continue to bless. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's, stand, let's remain standing this evening. Let's sing this old praise chorus. What a mighty God we serve.
It's full of chaos. It's full of tragedy. It's full of wickedness. But God, it's still a place where we can experience the peace of God in the midst of turmoil. God, the word, your word says that the peace that you give, the world's not the one that gives it to us, but it's you who give it. And the things of this world, it may try to rob us from it, but it can only go so far as much as we allow it to do because it's not an a, a earthly peace, it's a heavenly peace. God, we know it's by the Spirit of an Almighty God. So God, that is our prayer today, that the sweet Holy Spirit, the sweet Spirit of God, be the one that ministers and moves to us in a powerful and a special way. Father, we will forever give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray and ask. Before you're seated, let's just sing this. It's his sweet Holy Spirit. It's his sweet heavenly scripture there, verse 21 and 22 there of Exodus chapter 13. While you're turning, let me just uh, make mention of a couple things. Don't uh, forget that we are in the middle of our 21 days of fasting and prayer. 
Uh, there are prayer guides in the Welcome Center area. If they are taken and you can't find any more because all of them are gone, please let us know and we'll get you some printed um, for you to uh, be able to follow along with us on that. Also, we'll be having special prayer services on Monday nights uh, during this. So we have one tomorrow at 7 p.m. and one next week, the 23rd at 7 p.m. Now remember, you don't have to stay the whole hour. It's not a concentrated. We're not going to have a bunch of singing and, and preaching, but we're just coming together. We'll have worship music playing, and we're just going to pray, and we're going to just talk to God, and we're going to read whether you bring your prayer guides and you read along, whether you read your Bible uh, uh, while you're in here, whatever you feel comfortable doing, that's what we're going to do together as we just uh, spend some time with the Lord. And then at the end of the month, We'll culminate this fast, uh, a season of, of fasting and prayer, uh, with our, our monthly snack night. And we will have it on the 29th of the end of this month. And uh, we will have this uh, time together where we'll feast together after coming off of a fast together. So bring, go ahead and start thinking about what you like to bring, your little uh, covered dishes or hors d'oeuvres or, you know, uh, finger foods. And, and following Sunday evening of the 29th. Uh, we'll feed one another, uh, not only with the spiritual bread, but we'll go back and we'll eat and celebrate the fast together and just celebrate what God's doing in our church and in our in our community. Don't forget, on Sunday mornings, we're still in a series called uh, Fresh Starts, and uh, we're going to be talking about that for the next couple weeks. Our, our motto or our vision for 2022 and 2023 is still the same. That's our goal this year, reach, disciple, pray, one person, one family, one community, at a time, we can't reach them, can't disciple them until you reach them, and you you can pray, but you're not going to be able to know what to pray for if you don't know who they are to pray with them about. So we, and you can't win a community till you get a family in a community, and you can't get a family in a community till at least you reach one person in that community. So we're trying to do it in bite-sized uh, pieces, one person, then one family, and then one community uh, at a time. And let me say uh, to all that have been a part and have helped uh, bring about. Uh, just things around this campus helping us get Christmas turned from Christmas season to the winter season to flowers being uh, transported and the cold that took out all our flowers getting rid of all of those and waiting for Lowe's to bring their new shipment in to get them in all of the things that folks around here do to beautify the property and to um, you know clean the building and make it presentable for, for church and worship each week thank you so much um, it always looks great. I hear all the time compliments of just how beautiful our facilities are in terms of decorations and um, uh, curb appeal uh, and things like that. And so uh, we couldn't do it without you. So let me say thank you to all who do that. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word if you're able to do so. And, um, and then we'll go right into the Lord in prayer immediately following this passage of scripture. And the Lord went before them by day and a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night he appeared as a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Tonight I want to talk to you on today's forecast, major cloud cover. Today's forecast is major cloud cover. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability, help me to preach your word. Help me to share the gospel message to the people of God today. Help the words that I say not be my words or just mere words, but your words. And let it change, chastise, even maybe convict someone in this building or someone watching online tonight that they would have an encounter with God. They would know what thus saith the word of the Lord. And together, Lord, that we would be able to worship and glorify the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Help us not only to be hearers of the word, but doers thereof likewise. We will forever give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name. In Christ Jesus, we pray and ask. And the people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord if you can tonight. We started uh, talking at the beginning of this January season. Uh, on the idea of recapturing the glow, and we have been talking uh, for the last three weeks, finishing it up, we finished it up this morning, talking about Moses' journey uh, up to uh, Mount Sinai, and, and, and the second time he went up there, and he got the tablets, and he, he uh, saw the Shekinah glory of God, and the illumination of his face, and we, we've unpacked that, and as I was sitting in my, my office and stuff, thinking tonight of, of Lord, what would you have me to to say and to do, and I had some ideas of ways I thought I would be going. Uh, my mind was immediately drawn back to this story that happened, obviously, prior to all of this, uh, because we've been reading out of Exodus 33 and 34, so obviously Exodus 13 has come a long time ahead of that. But it, it, the Lord just kind of you know, impressed in my heart that, you know, before you can see the glory of the Lord, you've got to know where God brought you from to understand why you need His presence in your life. And so I began to go back and I began to read today in my office just some of these uh, uh, passages of Scripture that I read. And I, I didn't, you know, read the entire chapter with you today. Uh, but, but if you give me just a few moments to kind of set the background uh, just for a moment or the, 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 the backdrop of, of the passage in which we read today, it doesn't really start actually uh, in uh, the, the latter half of Exodus 13. In fact, it actually starts uh, uh, some hundreds of years ago, about 430 years prior to this, uh, with a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham has been told by God that his descendants, that would be as numerous as the sky above, would end up being in Egyptian captivity. They would have to go and they would be captured uh, by the Egyptian army and under the rule of Pharaoh. And, and some 400 and, and some odd years later, uh, we find the narrative of the story where a guy by the name of Moses is born into Egyptian slavery or captivity. And in the middle of this, this birth into slavery, we find where uh, his mother, by faith, puts him in a, in a if you will, a, a floating bassinet and allows him to float down river and is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. He grows up in Pharaoh's palace. He's nursed by his own mother, a biological mother. He, he eventually goes through the whole process of all of that. And then we find at the end of that particular part of the story, Moses is out there one day and he sees that the Egyptians are mistreating the Israelites and he commits murder. He, he kills an Egyptian taskmaster and he 
flees into the wilderness. And while he's in the wilderness, he has this, if you will, burning bush experience that many of us have read about. And, and, and as he has this, the Lord tells him, I need you to go back to your birth land and back to the homeland that you knew of Egypt and lead my people out of it. So Moses is a little nervous. He's a little scared. He doesn't really know what to do. He says, God, I, I have a speech impediment. I, I, I stutter a little bit and, and people, people are not going to understand what I have to say. And, and, and God said, I got that taken care of. Your brother Aaron, isn't he eloquent of speech? I've already sent him this way. Can I tell you, sometimes God will go before you and already cover your fears and doubts before you even make them publicly known to the Lord. And so Aaron's on his way and, and they meet and God shows Moses these signs and throwing the staff on the ground and putting his hand into his cloak and pulling him out as leprous and putting it back in and it's whole when it comes back out. And, and, and God gives Moses a very uh, important, if you will, or, or, or declarative command that, that cannot be overlooked. He said, Moses, here's the deal, though. I'm going to let Aaron go with you, but Aaron will be the spokesperson to the people. You will be the spokesperson for me. So whatever I tell you, you can tell Aaron and Aaron can tell the people, but you are the one I've called to do this job. So they go to Egypt. You know the story. They go through the Egyptian plagues. They go through the, the, the Nile River turning into blood, which would have been affecting the god of agriculture or the god of, uh, of resources, according to the, the Egyptian gods. All of the plagues had, a, if you will, a direct correlation to all the Egyptian gods so that it showed that God Jehovah was greater than the gods of the Egyptians. So he had, you know, the, 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 the water turning into blood was attacking the god of, of fruitility and the god of, of agriculture. And, and, and we go through, when you talk about the sun going and it was darkness, that was the Ra, that was Ra, the sun god, and it was like God was showing he was above Ra, the sun god. And when it's all said and done, we get to where it gets to Pharaoh, who is considered by the Egyptians the supreme ruler of the day. He, they, they would already, even when a Pharaoh would come into to, to power, they would begin already preparing for his exit in terms of death. They would already build a, a great sphinx or a great tombs of, for him, and they would already overlay it with gold, and the, 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 purific- uh, the, the, the uh, mummifiers would come and already be preparing to have everything ready, so as soon as he died, they could mummify this, this uh, if you will, Pharaoh and put it in this gold coffin and and, and, and and put all the stuff in it and, and make this a big spectacle and honor him as a god, if you will. And so the last plague was to attack the god known as Pharaoh. Because God said, I'm going to kill the firstborn. I'm going to take out the firstborn. And he gives the Israelites, you know, the, the Passover instructions of the doorpost and the three parts of the doorpost to put the blood. And when it comes time, Pharaoh finally says, get out of here. Just, just. Just go. Get out. And they leave. And when they leave, they come and exit in the middle of the night with a bunch of resources and gold and all of these things. They they get out into the desert. God's already instructed them for what was supposed to happen at Passover. He has already given them instruction of consecrating the firstborn son, and that would be holy unto the Lord of every animal, of everything. It was consecrated to the Lord. And they were on their way out of Egypt, and they came to a body of water known as the Red Sea. And they get stopped in their tracks. Now Moses did something that was prophesied or was asked of 400 some odd years prior to because when Joseph, also known as Zaphnath Paneah, 
died, he instructed his children, do not leave my bones in Egypt. So Moses takes, if you will, the past with him. Notice Moses doesn't stay in the past. He just brings the past along with him to the future. There comes a point in every man, woman, boy, girl's life, and even in the life cycle and health of a church, that while we embrace the past, we can't stay living in the past. We have to take the past with us as we go towards the future. Because if you're not careful, you, as I said this morning, if you stay in the past, you'll die with the past. Joseph couldn't do anything. His bones were in the ground. He was dead. The past was dead. It was over. But Moses knew God said there's a promised land out there. So Moses didn't want to forget all of the things that the Israelites had been through. He didn't want to forget all the blessings of God. So what he did is he packed Joseph's bones and took with him. What he's symbolizing is I'll take the past of everything that I've had happen to me. And I'll learn from it. I'll glean from it. I may even use it for my future. But I'm not going to get stuck in my past. I'm going somewhere else in the future. Too many people, if they're not careful, get stuck in the past and don't realize God has so much more for them in their future. They live in yesteryear. Well, I remember when, I remember when, I remember when. That's beautiful, but what if God wanted to do something even greater than he did even back when? What if God wanted to do something today even better? And so they navigate across this terrain, and they get to the Red Sea, and they come to an impasse. The only way to cross would be by boat, and there's no way to get a million-plus people in a boat. They didn't have boats. They didn't have that resource. So where are they going to go? To turn around would, if you will, uh, be a sign of defeat, to go back to Egypt, and that would be a sign of a laughingstock of God's ability of, of rescuing his people. If, if the Israelites went back and Pharaoh saw them, he would be like, ha, see, I told you that your God's not the real God. I mean, it would literally ha have been blown up, if you will, in their face. So what are they to do? So they journey to an area called Succoth, and they encamp there, and they at the edge of the wilderness and at the edge of that Red Sea area. But can I tell you that even when it looks like it's time to give up, it's time to turn around, tuck our tails, admit defeat, and give up. Because everything that seems like in front of us is too big, too bad, too strong, too powerful, too mighty. Can I tell you, God's already working things out behind the scenes that we don't even know about. He's working things out already. All of a sudden, there appears this pillar of fire. Out of nowhere. You, you don't find where the pillar of fire was in Egypt the whole time and just watched them walk out. No. You, you find that the Bible says that Moses took, they journeyed to Succoth and camped in Egypt, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of, as a cloud and a fire by night. When did it come? I don't, it didn't come obviously in Egypt. They've already left Egypt. They're not there anymore. Because sometimes God doesn't always reveal himself until we first make the step of faith out first. Sometimes God's not going to walk us hand by hand and spoon feed us. Sometimes God wants us to step out in faith and then he'll show us who he is. Then he'll show us his glory. Then he'll show us his power. But sometimes God kind of keeps himself hidden in the shadows until he first knows if we're going to trust him by faith. And come out from among them and be separate. And so they get there and this fire appears. No doubt, what a sight it had to be. I mean, can you think about this for a moment? You're in a desert, so it gets extremely cold at night. 
In the daytime, it gets extremely hot because of the terrain and the elevation. It gets extremely hot. Imagine for a moment this situation. A million plus people. Do you realize how big of a fireball it would have to be to keep warm that many people? I mean, think about it. If, if there was a fire just as big as this church building, there's no way a million people would be warmed by it. There's no way we could cram a million people outside and everybody feel the, 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 the heat of the flame of the fire that's burning in this size of a building. It would have to be a, a fireball of, of beyond recognition, of cloud. Could you imagine the size of a cloud to give cloud cover to, to keep the beaming rays of sunlight and the, the scorching heat of the desert to, to give them shade. Can you imagine how big a cloud had to be for shade cover for a million people? We're not talking about just a little cumulonimbus cloud here, a little cirrus cloud here, a little stratus cloud here, a little uh, you know cloud there. We're not talking about just a little, we're talking a cloud. It didn't say God went by a pillar of clouds, plural. The scripture says that God went by in a pillar of cloud. A cloud is singular tense, not plural tense. If he said God went in clouds, plural, maybe God gave everyone a little Olaf cloud and everybody got to just go along with their own personal little cloud everywhere. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he went as a pillar of a cloud. I mean, singular, a cloud. That is huge. That's a huge cloud. No wonder that would be a sight to see. It's one of the most important things at this time of Exodus. We've already read in our reading in Exodus 33. We've been talking about it in our, our series on recapturing the glow, or our sermons on recapturing the glow. Moses told the Lord, if you don't go, we don't go, and if you don't stay, we don't stay. I mean, that's what Moses' prayer, bottom line is, he says, God, we only go when you go, we stay when you stay. There is no other option. If you're not going with us, leave us here, and don't, don't, we don't want to become the laughingstock of everybody. Just leave us here. We'd rather be embarrassed here than find out that this was all wrong altogether. So they have this cloud. I started thinking about that today. What a cloud that had to be. I mean, it's cool enough to see fire, you know, I, my wife's family does bonfires and, and all kinds of stuff, and which is really cool and things like that. And, and every New Year's Eve, we take everybody, well, not mine because mine's not real, but everybody else in the family's live Christmas trees, and they're now, you know, old and they're, you know, dry and all that stuff. And we take these Christmas trees, and, well, you want to talk about something that catches on fire in a hurry? A Christmas tree, son. Them suckers are flammable. We'll take those things, and we'll, we'll put one in there, all of a sudden it's... I mean, it's like it eats it like that. Boy, you hear the crackling, you hear it going, and, it's, and you talk about heat. Woo! It will produce some heat. The problem in the world that we're living in today is too many people, they want to get close to the fire, but they don't want to be affected by the fire of God's Spirit. 
There's a lot of people that say they want to be near the fire. There's a lot of people that say they want to be near God. But when it gets, it's kind of like the old adage, it gets a little hot in the kitchen. You know, people want to get out when it gets a little too hot in the kitchen. The reality is a lot of people like to come to church as long as the preacher's not preaching too hot. And he's not preaching where they're living. And a lot of people like to be a part of things when they, they can live any old way or do any old way. But not have to be responsible for anything. A lot of people love going to church because it's the right thing to do or the socially a normal thing to do. Or to feel good about themselves but when it gets really warm they don't like it as much anymore because fire not only purifies but the closer you get to the fire the hotter it gets and the more uncomfortable you become sometimes God wants us to be a little uncomfortable he doesn't always want us to feel comfortable and so the fire is awesome and I'm not wanting to talk very long about the fire at all. In fact, I want to focus on the cloud. You're in the desert. It's heat. The sun's beaming. No doubt it probably could get triple digits in temperature at that particular time there in that area of the globe. It's hot, humid, no water supply except for the oasis as God would provide and waters and the rocks that God will provide. There is no thriving cities nearby in this Sahara Desert region. It's dry. It's arid. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's, in fact, it's, it's miserable. And I wonder how many times people, whether they're children of God or they used to be children of God or maybe they don't know God at all, but I wonder how many times people go through seasons where they feel dry. Life feels arid. They feel like there's no water in sight. There's no refreshments. There's there's no there's no uh, provision in sight. They feel like their life is like just sand and like clouds of dust, and it feels like everything is just choking the life out of them. And they're, 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 the stress of life has them you basically so broke down and beat down, and the the sweats of life just bother them. I wonder how many people get to a point that they feel like they're literally dying in them within their own self because they're they're, they're barren. They're thirsty, but there's no water in sight. The Bible says God sends this cloud. I would have loved my, my when I was growing up as a kid. Micah's watched it, and uh, um, some of Brianna's nephews have seen it too. But when I was a kid, they've remade this multiple times, and it's a whole lot. My version of this uh, cartoon is a lot older. It's a lot uh, that the the uh, if you will pixelization of it is. <laughs> way outdated you can tell these were the 90s when I when I used to watch them but the the newer version of this remake uh, um, if you will cartoon is very high quality very crisp but but it was a we I watch it sometimes on YouTube now but it, it was a it was a, um, a book or excuse me it was a uh, series called Superbook and it was these kids Chris and Joy and uh, they would always find themselves in these situations and they'd get at this place where they had to make a decision or something would happen, and all of a sudden, their little robotic friend Gizmo that was created by Chris's father, Gizmo, and this little guy, he would always be kind of like a little smart aleck robot and tell him, this is not a good idea, Chris. And, you know, Chris would be like, it's really fine, Gizmo. And he'd be like, I don't have a good feeling about this. And they would go through this, and Joy would tell Chris, or Chris would tell Joy, and they'd go back and forth, and all of a sudden, this book would appear, and this like light would shine out, and they'd be like, oh, no, super book. And, they would, and what would happen is it would throw them back into a biblical time period. 
And they would go back sometimes to the days of Jesus. They would go back to the days of Abraham. They'd go back to Moses. They'd go back to a story in the Bible that they could learn from so that when Superbook brought them back, they could realize how did people in the past handle situations similar to what I did. I wish God still, like I wish God really had a, a modern-day teleportal uh, tele or a quantum leap version of Superbook in real life because I would have loved to have gone back in time to seeing this happen. When the people of God get up the next morning in the middle of a wilderness and there's cloud cover, but it's not multiple clouds in the sky, not just multiple little white clouds in the desert, but I mean like shade. I mean big cloud, huge in a desert. Because that would have been never seen before. That would have been unheard of to see. And I started thinking about what are some of the things the Lord could teach us about these clouds. Well, the first thing I thought about was that God was giving them a reassuring cloud. He was letting them know everything's going to be okay. I'm here. It's okay. How do you figure, preacher? Well, look, at, look back at the very first words of, these te of the text we read. And the Lord... Went. If you just stopped and put a period right there and didn't say read the rest of that scripture, that's pretty reassuring. It didn't say the Lord was not near. The Lord abandoned. The Lord didn't show up. The Lord didn't know we were out here. The Lord didn't care. No, the very first four words said, and the Lord went, which lets us know God was on the move even before we were on the move. Which should encourage us as the body of Christ to realize even when I do, we sing it all the time, even when I don't see him, he's working. Even when I don't feel him, he's working. It should encourage us as the body of Christ to realize I may not even know what tomorrow brings, but I know who holds tomorrow, so I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take thought of itself because God's already in my tomorrow. He knows everything. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He already knows everything. So what it tells me is when the Bible said, and the Lord went before they even got anywhere, God was already going on before them, before they even knew he there so no matter what you face tomorrow on the job no matter what you face this week no matter what happens in your family this week I can assure you God's already there before you get there tomorrow before you walk through the school doors before you walk through Walmart before you walk into the bank before you walk into the school to, to a drugstore or wherever you're going this week before the children walk into the house with bad news before the bank account rolls in with the statement before you get that news I'm telling you I can assure you today God's already there before you get there tomorrow. He's already there. Because the Lord went. He went. He went. See, that should help us remove all fear and doubt because the Lord, He is there. He's there. You see, we can, you see, there is no confidence that one can experience. Like that when they are aware of the presence of God going with them. It is amazing the level of boldness and empowerment one receives when they know the Spirit of God has got their back. I mean, look at all throughout Scripture. I mean, John the Baptist, man, what a man of God. He didn't care what people thought of him because he knew what he believed. He had the Spirit of the Lord. 
How did he have it? Because he saw things like Jesus get baptized and see spirits of God in the shapes and forms of doves come and voices boom from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. No wonder he could preach the gospel. He heard from God directly. What an, what an encouragement. What an empowerment. What an assurance. People like Peter, empowered by the moving of the Holy Spirit, able to preach and add thousands of people to the body of Christ on the day of Pentecost. What an empowerment. People all throughout Scripture that seemed to be one way, but once they met Jesus, oh, what a difference he made in their life. People like Paul. People like others, you know, people like Abraham who's, who journeyed, left his homeland, left his family, and journeyed for a city whose builder and maker was God. He didn't even know where he's going, but by faith he followed this God that he'd never heard of. Sometimes it may seem absurd to others, but if they ever really understood what you and I already know, that there's something to be said about being assured of God's presence going with us everywhere we go. I said some said this to some to someone not too long ago. We were sitting at a at a home going service of a of a love of a of a friend and we were just talking about different things and conversation got brought up and and I said the statement I said, you know, I just don't know how people do it without the Lord. I don't know how they do it. I know the Bible says we'd be of all men most miserable, you know, all those things. That people, but, but I'm being serious. I, I don't know how people walk through what they walk through if they didn't have God. I just don't know. Because when everything falls apart, he is the only thing that remains the same. He's the same yesterday. He's the one that doesn't change. He's as faithful yesterday as he is today as he will be tomorrow. Everything else changes. The weather changes. The, the, the humidity changes. The clouds change. Everything in my life can change on a dime. But God remains constant and the same. So it's a reassuring cloud. Then I thought about, but it's also a reaching cloud. Because it's not only reassuring that the Lord went, but where did he go? And the Lord went before them. So it tells me that if the Lord went before them, it is a reaching cloud. How do you know? Because Numbers chapter 10, verse 34 and 35 said, And the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day, and when they went out of the camp, and it came to pass that when the ark set forward, Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before you. Because every time the cloud decided to go, so did the people of God. Which tells me that his hand is not too short, neither is his ear too heavy to reach down and to get me wherever I'm at. Even if the enemy is knocking at my door saying, I'm here, I'm here. God's not that far away. He is as close as the very mention of his name. And if the cloud has to go before me, or even when the Egyptian army comes raging, he can wreck the cloud, go behind me if he has to to give me coverage. But one way, shape, or form, we can know that he is ever close as the mention of his name. He can reach down and set my feet on a solid rock. He can pick me up when things are going wrong and I've fallen down. His hand never is too short to reach me where I'm at. He'll find me. You see, the people of God were always on the move. It, was the, it demanded the perception of the people. You know, it's sometimes not hard to discern God moving because He moves so fast that it's obvious. But there are other times in our lives that we feel like God's moving so slow we don't perceive He's moving. 
just like right now, you don't realize it because everything looks like it's still, unless you have vertigo. Right now, everything is in a still position, except you're, re- you're moving at such an alarming rate of speed. It is as almost as the earth is rotating on what is known as its axis. We are spinning so fast right now that it actually makes you feel like you're at a dead stop. You're moving. You're actually in motion right now. The sun doesn't move. The moon doesn't move. We move. And so in the morning when you see the sun, it wasn't the sun that said, oh, look here, and just flip over to the other side. No, no, no. We move. What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you, even in God creating the earth, he understood the value of movement. If you don't have movement, you become stagnant. Water that doesn't move stagnates and everything in it dies. God is a God of not stagnation. He's a God of ever-flowing movement. He said, I will give you not stagnant rivers. He said, I'll give you living water. Rivers of living water. That means moving, flowing waters. Why? Because God's always on the move. He's always wanting to do something. He's always blessing his people. That means that we have to be perceiving that even when God doesn't seem like he's moving and everything's moving too slow for us, don't give up. God's actually still moving in that moment. He's not stopped. You see... Sometimes we wonder about the direction he's moving. Chapter 13, verse 17 and 18. The Bible said, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, which was near. Why? Because God knew things we didn't. He knew they weren't ready to tackle giants yet. They couldn't even trust him to get them out of Egypt yet. They barely got out of slavery. They weren't ready to try to fight a giant. Sometimes out of our greatest turmoils, the devil wants us to face the next biggest giant. Sometimes God has to detour us because we're not ready yet for the next giants of life. God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. So God led them around the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up orderly and orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Have you ever tried to... Take directions from multiple people in the car at the same time. Like you're driving and you don't want to use GPS and there's four other people in the car and you say, hey, what's the best route to get to, you know, San Antonio, Texas? First person said, well, you know, if it was me, I think I'd get on the interstate. I'd get on 26. I think I'd, I'd get catch I-20. I'd go over to Atlanta. I think I'd follow Atlanta through at 20 and get down. I think I'd go into Birmingham, Alabama, maybe go cut the side of Arkansas, the, you know, the, you know, the edge of Arkansas, drop down, maybe go down to Houston and drop down and just go straight down to San Antonio. The other person said, that's the stupidest idea. Why would you do that? I think you should go down by Louisiana and you should go down through Baton Rouge and you should go and just follow, follow the Gulf Coast, follow it all the way down, come in by Dallas and come in that side or go, you know, go down in that area and come into San Antonio. The other person said, that's absolutely ludicrous. Why wouldn't we just go up and go around so we don't have to deal with all the traffic instead of taking the interstate? Why don't we take U.S. Highway this, U.S. Highway that, and you're just driving before you know it. You don't know which way you're going. You don't even know if you're going to Texas anymore. You're lucky to get out the parking lot. You've been circling the same Circle K parking lot for an hour. You don't know whether to go left or right because if you're going to the interstate, it's right. And if you're going U.S. 52, you're going left. You don't know which road to take yet. Eventually, you have to say, okay, that's enough. We only one person gets to decide this. This is before smartphones. Now you just ask Waze or Google, save me the time and tell me how to get there. You don't even want to ask the spouse, what's the best route? You ask Google or you ask Waze to get you there. Because if you're not careful, everybody will tell you five different directions. If I said to you right now, hey, I want everybody 
you know, I give you a, a landmark. Let's say I, somebody near here's house, you know, that lives out in the, Brother Henry's, for example. I, let's say I'm going to say, hey, we're all going to go to Cross, and we're going to have fellowship at Brother Henry's house. Better, you don't have cell phone service, so you're not going to be able to use GPS, so you better know how to get there. And it gets dark, so go in the daylight, because God does not come by a pillar of fire. You better hope you have street lights, and you, you're, you're in trouble. And I say, we're all going next Sunday night. And I say, Brother Henry, uh, what's the best way to get there? You know what he's going to, first question he's going to ask? Where are you coming from? Because if you're coming from the church, it's different than if you're coming from Goose Creek. Or you're coming from Somerville. Because it changes the directions. The problem in the world that we live in today, too many people are trying to get directions of life from everybody else but God. And the only voice they really should be asking to navigate them is, God, where do we go next? God, how do I get there? God, show me your way. Show me your glory. The steps of a good man and woman or the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean out on your own understanding. All your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make the pathways known. We have too many voices vying for our attention. We need to make sure we shut them off and say, God, what do you have to say about this? He's the one that knows the way the best. And so... Our own ideas, if you will, and certain points in God's journey and God's will and plan, but we have to trust His plan. God sees a greater viewpoint. God, God saw the Philistines, even though the Israelites couldn't see it. God saw the Philistines and said, that won't end well. God knows the end from the beginning. God sees what you cannot see. He knows what lies ahead. He knows the short routes, the long routes. He knows the best routes to get you there. So it's a reaching cloud. Then I thought about it, but it's also a resisting cloud. Look at this, Exodus 14 and 19 and 20. The angel of the Lord who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud that went before them and stood behind them now. So that it became in between the camp of the Egyptians and the Israelites. Thus it was a cloud and a darkness to one. And it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all night long. Think about this. You're sitting in the desert. Million plus people. You've heard the Egyptians are coming. It's daylight. You see them. You see the, the trampling of horses' hooves. You see dust flying. You hear them rumbling. You hear the chariot wheels flying through. You hear them. And your cloud starts going, And, and instead of just sitting in the sky, it drops down like fog. It just drops straight down. Comes pitch black dark on that side of the cloud. As if the lights were turned off. But on your side, it's daylight. The closest thing I can equate it to, nobody will understand this probably, but the closest thing I can equate it to is when you see rain in the distance. You're standing there and you're dry, but you see the guy on the bike three mile, you know, two miles ahead and he's drenched. And you're like, oh God, I hope that's not coming this way. You see him, he's faces, you know, the hair's matted to his face. You see the rain in the distance. I mean, you see it. Your side of the street is bone dry, but man, you see the rain coming. I can imagine the Israelites standing there watching this cloud. It's daylight, and then it gets dark across the street, if you will. And it's like, that's not normal. The fire's burning, but it's dark. The next day, it's dark, but there's light on our side. Like, how does that work? You say, well, Pastor, what do you mean it's a resisting cloud? Because what is, when we talk about this cloud, what is deliverance for one group of people can actually be destruction for another group of people. It's the same cloud. The Bible didn't say the cloud changed. It said the cloud moved to a different position. Sometimes God doesn't need us 
We don't, excuse me, let me back up. Sometimes in life, it's not so much that we need God to change the situation as we just need God to remove certain things or to shift things in the situation. Sometimes it's not about God changing the situation as much as it's God getting us to move one way and letting him slide into a different chair. The situation's still the situation, but instead of me driving, he wants me to go to the cat to the to the co-pilot's chair and let him sit in the captain's chair. Sometimes the situation's the same, we just got to reposition things in the situation. And it resists, it keeps the Egyptians at bay for the remainder of the night. For a million plus people to get across this, if you will, the, the Bible says the waters were peeled back and the wind throughout the whole night pulled the waters of or the Red Sea back and, and the next day they started walking on dry ground. I mean, for this entire time, there's a resistance, if you will, a resisting cloud that is holding the enemy. I wonder how many times in our lives We'll never know it till we get to heaven's shore and cross that Jordan River. But I wonder how many times in our lives God has put a resisting cloud to keep the enemy behind us so that we can keep going forward and he doesn't distract us. I wonder how many times we may not ever knew it. We might think life's great, but oh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and darkness and heavenly places. Oh, I wonder how many times the cloud of God's glory in our lives that we so long for. I wonder how many times it wasn't before us, but it had to go behind us to tell the enemy, that's as far as you're coming. You're not coming any closer. You're not going to destroy them anymore. You've done all you're going to do. You're not going to hurt them anymore. You're not going to, I'm going to hold you at bay because I'm going to take them to their promised land. I'm going to take them to what I said I was going to do. I wonder how many times God stopped the enemy in his tracks and said, that's far enough and you're not coming any further. I don't know. But probably we'd be scared to know how many times he had to do it and we didn't realize it. Because that's just how God is. The cloud literally moved between the camps. The power of God is still the, our protection today. The church has suffered many blows by the enemy, scandals, financial upheavals, the falling of great men and women, apostasy, the abandonment of religious beliefs, uh, the, the piercing arrows of church hurts between one another and brothers and sisters. But the cloud of God is still protection for his people and God still has a church that's going to keep going forward. may not be as big as it once was, but God will always have a remnant of people for his care. There's also the resting cloud. Numbers, third, Numbers chapter 10 and verse 36 said, And when the cloud had rested, Moses said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. There are times in the Israeli journey that the cloud would stay for a couple of days. It didn't move. They'd get to a place, the cloud would stop, and they'd camp for a while. Why? Because God knew the people needed rest. Sometimes you can get so busy going, 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 doing, 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 going, doing, doing, that you'll burn yourself out because you didn't take time to rest. You know how, you know why most people end up getting sick? It's because they've run down their immune system because they're not getting proper rest. Rest. It's it's essential. Sometimes God would have them walking this heated desert, this journey. They'd walk miles and miles and miles. But Brother Mary, never so often the cloud stopped and said, we're going to stay here for a while. Not because God didn't want to move, but because knew, God knew the people needed to rest. They needed rest. They'd been working for years as slaves every day. They needed rest. Rest. 
Sometimes the cloud would lead them by still waters for them to be refreshed. It was a slowdown, if you will, or a progress, a period. It is during this time that that's when our axes can be sharpened. Iron sharpens iron, so must a friend sharpen. It's hard to sharpen the axe in the middle of cutting down the tree. The only way you can sharpen the axe is stop cutting the tree and go into the shed and sharpen the axe. You can't sharpen the axe and keep hitting the tree at the same time. Sometimes you got to realize, I need to get this tree down, but a dull axe is going to make your work a whole lot harder because you're going to have to swing with a whole lot of exertion and a whole lot more force. Your arms are going to get tired quicker. You're going to start feeling like your arm's dead, and that tree still ain't fail. You ain't hardly put a dent in it. Why? Because you're swinging a dull axe. You sometimes are better to leave the tree alone and spend a couple hours in the shop getting the axe sharpening so when you go back out, it will speed up production because the axe is sharpened. You see, you will make up in production what is missed in taking the time to sharpen the tools. Meaning if you don't sharpen, you let somebody keep swinging a dull axe over and over again, you say, fine, I'm not dealing with this. You go in there and you sharpen your axe and you come out and start working on the tree, you'll get your tree down quicker than they'll get theirs done swinging a dull axe. I guarantee it. They can swing all day, but eventually they're going to get tired. They're going to throw the axe down. They're going to sit down in the dirt. They're going to be tired. They're not going to be able to do it. You're going to walk out there, and you're going to start making dents because your axe has been sharpened. I'm reminded of the story. I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm reminded of the story of the prophet Elijah. And when they're build, trying to build the sons of God or trying to build a, a living quarters for the school of ministry and for, for the, the sons of God, for the sons of ministry, sons of, of, of Elijah and the, the, the ministerial students, they were trying to build a ministry school and they borrowed somebody's axe and they're trying to cut down these trees for this ministry school and the axe breaks off and it floats, you know, we know the story, it goes in there and the, man, the, the, the young man runs to the prophet of God and he said, oh my gosh, it's not my axe, I borrowed it from a neighbor, it don't even belong to me, I stole it from Brother Randy's shed. And I don't want to pay for a new one. What am I supposed to do? You know, I wonder, I don't know this, but I wonder if he was swinging a dull axe. No pun intended. But I wonder if he, it broke because he had not sharpened the tools. I wonder if many people in our lives that we come to know and love, I wonder if they break down and break apart and fall apart, not because they're bad people, but because the axe went dull and it's not sharpened anymore. And so they broke. But the, but the man of God didn't let it stay that way. He threw a stick, if you will, into the water and the, uh, the, the iron, the iron axe head. I mean, that's impossible. It normally sinks. It becomes buoyant and Floats to the top. You go take an axe head and throw it in the tail race. See if it comes back up. You're going to be sadly mistaken. You can put a GPS tracker all you want to, but some catfish is going to make home out of that. There ain't going to be an axe head floating by anytime soon. You better get a, a team of divers to go down there and excavate that out because it ain't coming up. But this one floated. He said, pick it up and sharpen it. Get it right. I wonder how many times the Lord wants us to rest Long enough for us to sharpen ourselves, get into his word, pray, seek his face, get stronger and better so that when the next task comes, when the next giant comes, when the next adversity comes, we're ready because we've sharpened the axe. We're ready. We're prepared. Rest. Sometimes it is difficult for us as people to just sit still and let God just be God and not get involved. It's hard for us. 
Just careless, you make your way. And finally, there was the remaining cloud. Exodus 13 and 22. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night before the people. Look at it. He didn't take it away from them. It stayed with them. You say, well, preacher, how long did it stay with them? As long as they needed it. It was with them till they got to home base. Till they got there. The cloud didn't leave them. The fire didn't. Leave them. That's why God, the Bible says, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. The cloud and the fire stayed with them to the end. Didn't abandon them. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and into the sea. Meaning God wants to remain with us. God doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants to stay with us. He wants to abide with us. He wants to make residency with us. You see, we may not literally see a cloud or a pillar of fire as the Israelites. But we can be confident of this thing. God will always go before us. As long as we obey Him and seek His face and His presence, He will always go with us. We have the assurance that whatever life may bring, the protecting presence of the Holy Spirit is with us and in us to sustain us in our spiritual journey with the Lord. For the Bible says, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And lo, I am with you always, even till the very end. No matter what you're going through right now, He has not abandoned or left. He is with you till the very end. Let's pray together. Father, to the best of my ability, I have preached the word of Jesus Christ to the people of God. I've tried to do it with the Lord, a heart of humbleness. God, with a spirit of humility, I'm only asking God for you to do what you can do with this word. Let it be a life-changing word. Let it be a word that speaks to our hearts, goes before us and leads and guides us. God, I pray tonight, God, that this word, whether for online or in-house, would be a word that speaks to us for now and forevermore. God, I pray that you'd go before us, you would bless us and keep us, you'd make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us. God, that you would give us a peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts until you come again. Father, let the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our blessed strength and redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. The body of Christ said amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand all over the house. Those joining online, God bless you. We're glad to have you. Before you're dismissed, I'm going to ask Brother Randy if he would close us out in our benediction and prayer. Following this benediction prayer, we will be dismissed. Don't forget prayer uh, meeting tomorrow at 7 p.m. and Bible study on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. God bless you, Brother Randy.